Well, if you would turn with me to the very beginning of your Bible, um, right after all the, the, the tables of contents and the introductions and, and all that, to where it says, in the beginning, uh, Genesis 1. At the start of a new decade, at the start of a new year, uh, we as a congregation are going to open up the book of Genesis for the next couple months and just do an, an overview. There, there's 50 chapters in Genesis, so we're not going to do a chapter a week for the whole year, but... Uh, <laughs> You, you can do that. I, I would encourage you to dig in, dive in. Um, but, but we're just going to get a, an overview of the, the very beginning. The, the author of life who has a good plan. Um, and and these, this is going to lay some good foundations. Maybe it's familiar ground for you. Maybe it's a first-time journey through the beginning of God's word as you see his plan, how sin enters the world, his plan of redemption and hope, and some of the key figures. Uh, that are in this, in this uh, book of the Bible. So if you were to read one chapter a day, you could get through all 50 chapters in January and February. So that would be a little goal I'd lay out there for you. And hopefully in, in, in the midst of all of your New Year's resolutions, you've, you've resolved to spend more time in God's Word this year. Our family, the Gilboy family, is doing a da- daily Bible reading challenge uh, and, and there's some cash prizes involved as well uh, coming up at year end. So, so the, the, our, our family, what we're doing is the goal is to, to read at least one chapter of the Bible per day. So it's not, it's not the goal of like reading tons and tons of the Bible as much as it is of that daily discipline of being in the Word and then getting that Word in our hearts. So that's our what our family is doing for a challenge. You, you may have an app that you use that, you know, maybe there's a friend that you, that you pair up with on a, on, a, on a Bible reading plan and you can hold each other accountable and encourage each other on that or read along together. So lots of different options, but get in God's word. And so one real practical thing as a congregation, as we're going through Genesis the next couple of months, spend some time in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. And, and as you do that, do it prayerfully and say, God, speak to me, change me as I go to your word. So let me give you an outline of the book of Genesis in eight words, okay? Uh, Maybe you can even memorize these. You can write them down if you need to. Here's an outline of the book of Genesis. Creation, fall, flood, nations, and then four names. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Do you think you could say that with me? Will that be out of your comfort zone a little bit? That's okay. All right. Let's try it together. Ready? Creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Now, if you memorize that eight-word outline of the book of Genesis, it will help you remember whose son was who. Like, was it Abraham on the ark? Was it it Moses with with the Ten Commandments? If you memorize those, those eight words in that order, it will help you to kind of keep track of whose son was whose in this story. And it will give you a good outline of the book of Genesis, uh, which will help you as you're reading through these 50 chapters. But today we're going to look at that first word, the word creation, which is in Genesis 1 and 2. This is the story of God's creative work, his, his, the seven days of creation, and then a little more granular detail on how humans were created and why humans were created, what was the purpose of God's creative uh, work, especially in fashioning man and woman, humans in his image. So this is where it all begins. Let's start here in, in the first couple verses of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Just take a look at that first phrase, in the beginning God created. Have you ever encountered someone who may dispute that very opening phrase of the Bible? In the beginning, God created. That's a pretty key presupposition. That's a pretty key foundational belief that really uh, what you do with that phrase is going to shape your philosophy, your view on science, your view on ethics, your view on the human identity as a person and the goal of human existence. And there's a lot of people in our world that would throw out that first phrase and go, in the beginning God created, seriously, you still believe that? We're in the year 2020? How backwards are you? So this is, a, this is a really key point. I would encourage you this year, as you're having conversations, as the topic of faith comes up, as people start asking big philosophical questions, what's it all about, why are we here? Have the courage to bring people to God's word, even people who may be antagonistic toward that idea. And I think digging at that presupposition is a good tool in our culture today to say, you know, well, um, as, a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I believe that God's word is our source of truth. And it begins by talking about a creator God who, before anything else, he was and he's the one who spoke the world into being. And then let them go ahead and scoff or react however they need to. And then politely and kindly point out, well, your view is a belief system. It's, a, it's really almost a form of religion where you're starting at a faith level and saying, I, I believe in a world where there is no God. And if, if that's the world that you start in, you can build an entire foundation on that. There'll be some gymnastics that you have to perform, some, some mental ideas on, on big bangs and, and, and things that work in the exact opposite way of what we observe, right? Things getting better and improving over time rather than eroding, corroding, digressing, entropy, all those laws, right? Um, but, you know, dig at that presuppositional level and, and help the skeptical people in our world to understand that really believing in a God or not believing in a God is a starting point, uh, you don't start before that. You know, there's, how many of you have ever taken a philosophy class? All right. Is there anyone, any of you college students currently enrolled in a philosophy class next semester? Anybody? Okay. Well, well we've all got advice for you, Laura. Uh, so she's got that coming up to look forward to. And it can be fun to dig into ideas, um, looking at how do we know things, right? Looking at what is stuff made of, right? So those are kind of the two big categories of philosophy. What is everything? And how do we know what everything is, right? And so different philosophers dig into that. Um, you know, the, the famous phrase, I, I think, therefore I am, right? Who said that? Oh, man, we got scholars here today. Descartes, yeah, right? So he, he got to his... His philosophy, the foundation, was knowledge, right? So he thought that, you know, the fact that I'm standing here thinking about stuff is the only thing left that I can't doubt. Well, then after him, there were other philosophers that go, oh, really? Well, we can doubt that too. Are you really standing here? Is it really you standing here? And so, they, you know, you can have that skepticism that goes even beneath where you think your presupposition is. Genesis starts out from a different angle than what Descartes did. It doesn't start out with knowledge. It starts out with 
metaphysics, ontology, the existence of matter, right? And so before anything was, if you notice this here in Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created. So what we would consider the beginning, for God is not the beginning. He was already there when the beginning began. And that's pretty key to all of the other uh, beliefs that are built on those philosophical starting points, right? So ethics, what's, what's right and wrong, what's good and bad? If there is no God who created, how do you have a foundation to build that? Is it, is it I just do things that um, I would like other people to do to me? Now, there's some pretty sadistic people in the world. I don't trust their ethic to guide how we should all relate to one another. Um, what about aesthetics, beauty? What is beautiful? If there is a God who created, that gives us a foundation to understand and evaluate beauty. And so this is pretty, pretty crucial that as we start a new year, as we start a new decade, as we deal with a culture that's very skeptical, and you'll see this if you haven't already, man, uh, the, the whole stick it to the man idea, right? Questioning anyone who's in authority, questioning any overarching story that would claim to make sense of reality. And really, that's a threat to any, any religion, and particularly Christianity. And so this is the challenge of our day, is dealing with very interpretively skeptical people or just very overly entertained people who are vegging out on Netflix and not thinking very deeply about anything. But to bring both of those groups of people to God's word and say there is a God who created. There's more to this life than just seeking pleasure. There's more to this life than just your opinion or my opinion. My version of reality, what I internally believe or feel and what you do. And validating and affirming all that in one another. Let's all sing Kumbaya. There is a God who created. And with that as the foundation of our belief, what was his plan? Why did he create? Let's dig in some more here into the, into the story. So verses 1 and 2 are really the prologue. This happens before day 1. It's setting the context. It's saying before the beginning, there was a God who, who existed. And he's taking uh, the, the, the earth that's without form. Uh, his spirit is hovering over the face of the waters. And now God's about to speak in verse 3. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. One thing to point out there on day one, there is no sun, stars, or moon until day four. So, so here God is saying, let there be light on day one, and yet it's on day four of creation that he creates all the, the celestial bodies, the, the sun, moon, and stars. So where's this light coming from that, and how is it distinguished from darkness if there's no sun at this point? Um, one, one clue would be to go to the very end of God's word. Again, I, I'm beginning with the presupposition there is a creator God. And so I believe his word to be true. And at the very end of the story, when uh, you know, after sin messes up God's plan. Right now we're in the good part of the story, right? Genesis 1 and 2. We're seeing God's plan in creation, his good plan, his heart for his world and his people. We get another glimpse of that at the very end in Revelation 21, uh, at the very end of the book, uh, and at Revelation 21 and 22. 
in between, there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of God's redemptive work. But here's, here's a glimpse of at the end of time when God makes his dwelling among us, when the, when the new Jerusalem uh, comes down and God makes a new heaven and a new earth, here's what it says. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Man, the glory of God is so radiant that there's no need of sunlight. And, and I, I see some of those same echoes here in Genesis 1 on the first day of creation. We have God, and, and the first thing that he speaks into existence out of nothing is light. He creates light from darkness. It gives us a glimpse of his glory. And really, this is the first taste that we have in his word of why he created to start with. It's because he's glorious. It's because he's awesome. It's because he's powerful. He's the source of all life. And he's creating for his glory. Then in verse 6, it says, we go into day two. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven or sky, your footnote might say. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And so now we've got God creating sky, separating, you know, it's, it, apparently it's a picture of, of one big humid ball of potential creative uh, material that God is using to shape and fashion. That's what we saw in verse 2. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. And now God's separating the waters above and below. He's creating this area of atmosphere, this area of, of air where there's no moisture. There's moisture above, clouds, and moisture below. But he's created, he's beginning this process of, of uh, setting up a world where we can live to experience his glory. Verse 9, then the Lord said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. That's the beginning of day three, but it continues on. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Do you notice some of the patterns here in the, in the creation story? Do you notice God repeatedly saying, it is good, it is good. God is seeing, he's speaking into creation. He's seeing that his creative work is good. And then there's that kind of closing uh, narrative of there was evening and morning the third day, the second day, the first day. And so we're seeing that pattern here as God is creating. And on day three, he's, he's gathering now the waters that are below. He's causing dry land to, to, uh, to pop up. And there's seas and lakes and rivers and streams and all the, the bodies of water that we enjoy today all created for God's glory the land itself for his glory. And what a creative God he is 
in the ways that he's shaped and fashioned the land that we enjoy. You know, we live in a, a beautiful state, and hopefully you get outdoors and enjoy that, probably not often enough. Going out and checking out our state parks and our national parks and open spaces to see the vistas of the beauty of his glory. And then you travel to other parts of our country. I've heard there's water that, that it talks about in here. Haven't seen it here, but there, there, is, there are these bodies of water in other parts of the world, right? Um, go check those out as well. We do have a couple rivers here, right? And some reservoirs. But God, God created all this and then causes the, the diversity of plant life to grow. And that fruit, uh, there's a purpose for that. We're going to see greater detail of that as as the creation story moves forward. But all of this is created for God's glory. It's his creative work on display. It's meant to glorify him, to lift his name up, to magnify him. And then on day four, verse 14, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So that's the day that God now uh, not, it's not just his glory that's radiating and keeping the plants alive at that point, but now he's created the sun uh, and, and the, the other suns, the, the stars that we see off in the distance, and the moon which reflects the light of the sun. That's all created by God for his glory. It's all a part of his plan and his design. Then on day five, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Again, looking at the patterns here in Genesis 1, you'll notice that as God creates all of the, the sea life, all the aquatic life from small to big, and as he creates the birds that we enjoy, all the variety of different songs, colors, uh, patterns, Looking at, looking at all the beauty of his creation, which just shows the, the, the glorious splendor of our creator God. There's a pattern here that you'll detect as you read through Genesis 1, where he speaks some words of blessing on this fifth day of creation to the, the sea creatures and the birds. Words of blessing that he repeats to the humans that he creates on the next day. So he, he, it says he blesses them, and he says, Be fruitful and multiply. He says that here in verse 22 to the, to, the, um, to, the, to the sea creatures and to the birds. And let the birds multiply on the earth. Let the, let the, uh, fill the waters in the seas, he says, to the, all the sea-dwelling aquatic life. And you're going to hear some echoes of that in God's creation of, of Adam and Eve as well. So then on day six, the Lord said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. 
livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. That's the beginning of the sixth day of creation. We'll, we'll, we'll stop for a moment because the, the, there's a big, a big part of the story coming into that you may be interested in if you haven't been interested to this point. Um, what about that phrase, and it was good, and God saw that it was good? Those of you who have taken a philosophy class or an ethics class, that's a fun one for your, your professor to, to, to uh, mess with your mind on. What is good? What's the definition of good? Right? And so you can have some fun with that, that philosophical question. Um, it's pretty simple here. If, if you believe in a belief system where your foundational support is in the beginning God created, then the question of what is good would be answered by whatever aligns with the heart of God. Whatever is according to his glory. Whatever honors him, whatever glorifies him. When the creator looks at what he's created and he says it is good, that is the definition of what is good. That it, it, it aligns with the heart of God. It fits with his character, with his person. It fits with who he is. He's creating out of his glory and to reflect his glory. And as he looks at his glorious creation, he doesn't say, oops, uh-oh, ooh, not quite right. He looks at it and says, it is good. And that's by his definition. So what is good? Tell your ethics professor it's whatever God determines to be good. It's whatever reflects the character and heart and person of the creator God. And watch their eyeballs pop out of their head if you're not at Colorado Christian University. And then bring back some stories because we'd all like to hear about it. <clears throat> so at, on, the, on the second part of day six, here's what it says. Maybe this is after the lunch break. I, I don't know exactly the timing on this, but God has created now not just the, the animals that live in the sea or that fly in the air, but now also all the, the land-dwelling creatures. He's created them except for one. And that's what he's about to do next. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, and that's a generic uh, word, mankind, humans. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. 
On this sixth day, God creates all the animal kingdom and now mankind in God's image, and it's all for his glory. Now, uh, hopefully you take some time to ponder some of those big life questions. Maybe, maybe at the start of a new year, it's a good time to reflect and go, you know, what happened in 2019? What, uh, what happened in terms of our family, in terms of our goals, in terms of maybe our financial you know, well-being, maybe in terms of our careers, academic pursuits? What, what happened in 2019? And then that begins to inform the year ahead. As you're looking at 2020, you're saying, well, what's going to happen this year? You know, am I going to take an active role in, in having some of those goals accomplished or am I kind of passively letting life pass by? But as you start doing that, sometimes there's some angst that starts to build up within you and you're going, man, 2019, I took some steps backward relationally, financially, personally, career-wise. You know, it was a hard year of some setbacks. Maybe it didn't have a lot to do with you. It was outside circumstances that came your way. Maybe on the other hand, you look back to 2019, you're like, that's going to be a hard year to top. It was pretty awesome. Uh, I'm scared about 2020 because I don't know how I can one-up what I achieved in the past year. But, you know, as you begin to think in this way and you're, you're taking stock of the year behind, you're looking ahead, setting some goals for the year to come, I hope you ask the deeper question of who am I and what's the purpose for which I was created? And as you read about day six here, uh, starting with a, a philosophical baseline that says, in the beginning, God created. The next step above that, I hope you quickly get to the second half of day six when he creates male and female in his image. And as you look back at 2019, hopefully it's not just about your goals for self-actualization. You know, you're working hard, making, making deals happen, working an angle, building some connections, you know, tweaking your LinkedIn profile. Um, because all that superficial stuff, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come and go. You know, you're going to move through different life stages. That stuff is not lasting. If you get a hold of the truth that God made you in his image, then you're going to start having some of those really big life questions answered in a satisfactory, lasting way. That's going to last whether or not you've got health, whether or not your marriage is strong, whether or not, you know, you're, you're at the prime of your life or, or you're towards the, the, the end of your life. Uh, this, this view on you as a person is going to carry you through every day of your life when you understand God created you in his image for his glory. That makes the new year um, not so scary because, you know, really it's the same mission as last year. Glorify God. Use my, my energy, my resources, my time, my talents for his glory. Honor him in all that I do. Live for him. Per, walk through the open doors that he sets before me for his glory. Walk past the closed doors, trusting him in the hallway that he's going to open the next door. And keeping your eyes fixed on the one who made you in his image for his glory 
and he's got a mission for you. Really, those are the big questions that everyone's asking, right? Who am I? Why am I here? Does my life matter? Right? All these big, huge questions of, of human existence are answered when you understand that in the beginning, God created. And further, that he created you in his image after his likeness. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some words in here about having dominion. Um, who's the king in this story? Who's the king here in chapter 1 of Genesis? Who's God? Is it Adam? No, no, it's the creator God, right? The one, the one that we read about in Genesis 1.1. And so when God gives authority to Adam and to Eve, and he says, have dominion over the fish and the birds and over every living thing, enjoy all the vegetation, the fruits of all that, uh, use that for food, He's not saying dominate it. He's not saying abuse it. He's not saying mistreat it, exploit it. He's really saying, be my representative to my good creation. Have dominion in, in a sense of a, a delegated authority by the one creator God. Don't be confused into thinking that, you know, this is yours to manipulate and, and distort for your purposes. Uh, man, I think, I think if... If anyone should be an environmentalist, it should be a creator God-believing Christ follower that says, man, this is all God's good creation for his glory, and he's put us in charge, delegated authority to us. Let's care for his good creation. And not, not an environmentalist in the way that says, yeah, human life is, yeah, that's, that's insignificant. It's animal life, that's where it's really at. But the kind of environmentalist that says, this is God's beautiful creation entrusted to us to care for. Don't throw your litter on the ground. Don't exploit and destroy things. Care for and honor what God has created. It's for his glory, and he's put us in charge of that. There's a part of our mission is made clear as we, as we read here in Genesis 1, the task that was given to Adam and Eve. We're going to read just a couple more verses here at the beginning of chapter 2. And then you're going to have to finish out chapter 2 on your own because uh, there's a lot of good content here uh, in the creation story. But we've got to get to day 7, right? We can't end on day 6 when there's 7 days of creation. And so that spills over into Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here, here again, as the, the, the sea creatures were blessed, as he blessed the birds, as he blessed the animals and the humans that he created in his image, God blessed, he blessed the Sabbath day, that seventh day. And it says he made it holy. What does that mean? Set it apart. Yeah, to, he set it apart for a special purpose, right? He set it apart to be used to, to glorify God. That's what it means to make something holy. So, you know, this is a common word in the Bible, to be holy, uh, to be sanctified, to be set apart. What that means is you take something ordinary and you make it extraordinary. You take something that was intended for normal, common, everyday use 
And now you say, no, now this thing is set apart to be used to worship God, to glorify him, to magnify him and lift him up. And that's what God did with the seventh day. It's the first thing that he's made holy here on this creation week that he says, this day could be just any other day, but it's now a day set apart to glorify me, to worship me, and it's a day in which God himself rested from his creative work. And that becomes a foundation for us also celebrating the Sabbath. It's a part of the reason why we set aside one day a week to gather together and worship. Even our whole culture really still reflects some of this Sabbath idea. You know, there are businesses open on Sundays, but by and large, there's a lot of places that are, you don't conduct business on Sundays. You know, they're closed on Sundays. In fact, there's almost a trend back to that. Employers are finding out you can actually make more money by just go ahead and closing down for one day instead of trying to keep operations going seven days a week. What do you know? Maybe the story that there is a God who in the beginning created is the correct view on reality, and that's why even the economics of a seven-day work week work better when we set apart the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Taking that one normal day and saying, no, this is a day, it could be just like any other day, but it is set apart to glorify you and worship you, and that's why we've gathered here in his house today to worship him, to lift his name up on high. Not only a day that's set apart, but you also as a son or daughter of the king, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are sanctified. You are made holy because of what Jesus did on the cross. That means, you know, you were an ordinary person, but because of what Jesus did, you are now extraordinary. You're cleansed. You're set apart for a different purpose. It's not just living and dying anymore. It's not just making a pile of money, competing with your neighbor, you know, having a a great following on social media. None of that will do because you've been sanctified. You've been set apart. You have a higher purpose now. You're lifted up to the king, presented to worship him and to glorify him. And that goes across all aspects of your life, what you do with your time, your energy, your thoughts, your relationships, your finances. That's all made holy, set apart for worship. And so grab a hold of that, not in a, in a condemning way, but in, an, in a standing at the start of a new year, a new decade, in an exciting way, saying, man, I exist because in the beginning, God created. I exist for his glory. I exist to magnify him. That's your purpose. That's your mission. That's your identity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, skip the, the last two points and, and allow you to, to dig into Genesis 2 on your own. Uh, some more, but really the, to, to quickly summarize what's going to come there as you go home and, and spend some time in that. Um, you're created to glorify God, but you're created in, in glorifying God, you're created for relationship with Him. You're created for relationship with others as well. That's why when God looks at Adam in the garden, He says, It is not good for, for man to be alone. So after He said, It is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good, now He says, It is not good. He's looking at Adam all alone. You need a helper suitable for you. And he places Eve there with Adam in a garden that God himself tended for them to enjoy and partake of. God the provider, he created them to depend upon him. And really, I'd encourage you to, to, as, as, a, as an individual, as a couple, as a family, go back over this creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. Dig into it. Find out 
what God's good plan was. Next week, there's some bad news coming as we look at the fall. So that second word in the outline of, of Genesis. But take some time this week to dwell on the good news of the God who in the beginning created, created you for his glory, created all things for his good purposes. And let's worship him as we, as we contemplate that this week. Let's stand together in his presence and give him thanks and praise for the God that he is, the glorious creator God. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name today. We thank you, Lord God, maker of heaven and earth, giver of life, creator of all things. Today we stand in awe of you. You are glorious. You are resplendent. You are marvelous. We thank you, Lord, that as, as you look over a world that at times we, we're pretty cynical toward, we're pretty skeptical toward, it's easy for us to see the negative things in our world because it's been affected by sin. And yet, Lord, we take a step back today and see your good plan and your, your hand at work. We thank you for your good work of creation. We thank you for creating us to have relationship with you and with one another. We pray, God, that your good plan, your good creative plan would be at work within our hearts and lives, that it would be setting the course of our lives, that we would be about glorifying you, about being set apart to worship you, about being holy and sanctified as we are uh, devoted fully to worshiping you with all of our energies, with all of our time and efforts. And God, for anyone today that's, that's living in, in a time of doubt and questioning, I pray that today's word would, would bring encouragement to them of trusting that you are the creator God, trusting that you create for your glory, for your good purposes. Trusting that you have a good plan for our lives as individuals today and this week. We give you thanks and praise now in Jesus' name. Amen.